I was fortunate enough during my teen years to um, be in a family which could afford to have a boat. Actually, over the teen years in my early 20s, we had two different boats. The first one was simple 14-foot runabout with a Johnson 55 motor on the back. It was more than adequate for wonderful skiing adventures, and most of the time we um, played the, um, the waters of Lake Lanier. Once a year, at our family vacation, we would put it on the trailer and haul it all the way down to Hilton Head Island, where for two weeks it served as a platform from which we could fish and crab and shrimp and uh, just enjoy the marshes of Broad Creek and Port Royal Sound. I still to this day remember um, we weren't very good fishermen. The Gerardo family are not good fishermen. <laughs> we would go out and catch nothing or catch the croakers that my father despised um, or occasionally a <laughs> stingray. But we were darn good crabbers in those days, and I say that more often, we would catch blue crabs that would be this far between tip to tip. You can't do that anymore. It's been overcrabbed. And I'll never forget my father taking out two bridges that he had in the front of his mouth and placing the lead weights for a seine net inside of his mouth and throwing it out in a circle, letting the weights go just at the right moment. He said that if he had had to lose his teeth, at least it helped him do this. And we would go home that night and we would have a wonderful dinner of crab and fresh shrimp just a few hours out of the water. We also each year made an annual trip around Hilton Head Island. We would load up all the gas tanks because you did not want to run out of gas um, on the open sea. And we would go from one end to the other um, in front of the island out in the open sea and then return back um, to the to the marina where we kept the boat. Now, my father was always the skipper when we were in open water. But then one summer when I was probably 13, it was decided that my older brother, four years my senior, was capable and mature enough to take us out without my father's presence. Everything went well for a time. And we got around to the front of the island and we came down from the north end to the south. And as we neared North Forest Beach, where the house we were renting was located, my older brother decided that he would just shift in a little bit so we could say hello to our family and friends who were on the beach waiting to see us come by. Well, <clears throat> he miscalculated. And we went inside of the surf and suddenly a wave crashes broadside into the boat and fills us about a third of the way with water, and a second wave then later crashes into us. I thought it was it. I was terrified. I thought we were going to die then and there. The boat would certainly sink, if not capsize, with one more wave. Luckily, he was able to turn the bow into the surf, and after a great deal of pumping the water out and bailing with anything and everything we could find, including a paper cup that crumbled in our hands, we were on our way again, safe and sound. That is, until we reached the, the marina. <laughs> I think I need to end the story there. Ford, my father was not pleased. 
Luckily, it wasn't me that he was mad at. (laughs) We live in the surf right now. The waves are beating upon us like nothing I ever have remembered in my 54 years of life. Granted, I was a teenager at the height of the Vietnam War when women's lib and civil rights and other matters were also pressing upon the world and this nation. And when the Book of Common Prayer was being revised and we were ordaining women for the first time, I remember those days, I lived through them, but they do not compare in my memory to the present time, mostly because of the nature of our economic situation. We are in two wars. We tend to forget about those wars because we hear more about superstars who die than the young men and women who put their lives on the line and sometimes sacrifice them in Afghanistan and in Iraq. We struggle with fears about our own jobs or the jobs of loved ones or family members or close friends. We see the waves increasing ever slightly and then overwhelmingly and then going away and then coming back. We live in the surf right now. We are surrounded by anxieties and fears. And I was Susie told me that she had either heard or read an article this last week that says that the Atlanta drivers are the rudest drivers in the world, or at least in this nation. So we even live with hostility on our streets of not compared most of us to the hostility that other Atlantans live with throughout their day-to-day lives. We live in the surf. Jesus is at a time in his ministry, if we read last week's gospel from Mark, which this is a continuation. If we were reading from Mark, we'd hear almost the same story about the feeding of the 5,000 and the Eucharistic uh, breaking of bread and the sharing and the wealth of food that was left over. But Jesus right now is living in the surf. He's trying to get away for a moment from the crowds to regroup, to rethink, to relax. Last week we heard that his reputation, his fame had spread to the point that people were bringing people from the countryside who were sick and ill and leaving them in the marketplace so that he would come and touch them. When he leaves there and tries to go to a quiet place, people know who he is and they run ahead of him and they get there before him. And now as he arrives on the sea, the banks of the Sea of Galilee, known as the Sea of Tiberias at this point, by the Roman name, the Sea of Tiberias, a reminder of the Roman occupation, they come again. A multitude follows him. And he is pressed in on every side, overwhelmed by the reaction, by the desire just to touch his cloak and to hear his words. And he turns that crisis, that moment of pressure into a teaching moment by taking the sacred bread of the Hebrew faith and blessing it and breaking it and giving it to those who are around in the fish also, another Eucharistic symbol. He will break the fish on the beach with his disciples after his resurrection. And he tries to teach the multitude about things eternal, 
not about things temporal. He tries to shift their frame of reference away from the moment that is happening right there and their own self-needs to that which will feed them for the rest of eternity, a deeper and growing relationship with the Creator, with God who made us all in God's image. But they don't hear things eternal. They only think that he has come to become their king. And so again, he flees. He goes back up onto a mountain and he sends his disciples ahead of him into the darkness, onto the sea. Now, it's important at this point, I think, to remember that God, that John in the opening verses of the gospel says, the light has dwelt among us. And it has overcome the darkness. The darkness has not defeated it. But the darkness is still there as it's around us always. And the disciples find themselves off course with a difficult wind, afraid that they are going to be swamped, afraid that they're going to die. And Christ comes to them and says to them two things. It is I. The name that God has been known by since the beginning of history. The name that God gave Moses to tell to the Hebrew people. It is I. I am who I am. I am who I was. And I am who I will be. That's the interpretation of the words, the Hebrew words that come out of the flaming bush to Moses. It is I. And once you know. Once we know who Christ is, then we can hear the rest of his his second thing that he says. Do not be afraid. It's hard not to be afraid. I'll wake up at night and worry about things. We worry constantly, as I've said already, about the state of the world, the state of our being about things that are outside of our control, but that we can maybe have some influence on, but we worry. How do we become with Christ and in Christ so that we know he is and that we are his? Paul gives us some insight into how we might do that in today's epistle reading. He asks for four things for us or for those to whom he writes, but the scriptures are alive and feed us now. Paul asks that we be strengthened, that we be strengthened at the very deepest level with our inner beings, with that which is eternal. This strengthening comes to us through the power of the Holy Spirit. It is a gift that we have already received in our baptisms. But sometimes we forget about things eternal and focus on things present. Paul asks and prays that we can be rooted, not tossed to and fro, not turned over in the wind, but rooted, deeply rooted in the faith. And that we can find our grounding, our foundation in the risen Lord. You can read this when you get home again. And see the prayer that Paul is offering for us. 
Then Paul also wants us to understand the breadth, the height, the depth, the expansive nature of God's love for each and every one of us, for all of humanity. We are all created in God's image, and God does things for us that surpass our understanding. And finally, Paul prays that we will strive to grow, to grow in our knowledge and in our assurance of Christ's love, which leads us to a deeper knowledge of and a willingness to live into God's will for all of God's children. We live in difficult and tumultuous times. The surf is rough. But when we fix our minds on things eternal, we find a way through the storm. And if you're trying to figure out how you can do this, we're about to enter. The announcements today will be relatively short compared to what they'll be in three weeks because we're about to enter the program year. And there's all kinds of ways to grow in faith. The choirs, adult and children's education on Sunday, youth education on Sunday, the Wednesday women's um, Bible, I mean, a book group, the Wednesday morning discussion group, gift on Wednesday night. I'm going to teach two charisma courses, one in the fall and one in the winter. Um, Wednesday morning worship or Wednesday noon worship, Tuesday morning worship, worship here on Sunday morning. The list goes on and on, service to threads or to one of the other core ministries of this parish. These are all ways that we respond to Paul's prayer for us and that we can deepen our relationship with God, with Christ, and with others. I once took a, a workshop on whitewater canoeing. I thought I wanted to be a whitewater canoeist. I learned after the first workshop that it wasn't for me. But I did learn something that's important for us to know, and it's important about our faith. And that is if you're in a whitewater canoe or you're in a kayak and you hit the rapids, you don't pull your paddle out of the water. In fact, you stroke it even harder. You pull it even harder. You do it even faster. You, you want to keep that boat, that kayak, that canoe aligned with the flow of things. For it's much better to go down the rapids like this rather than to go down the rapids like this. And that's what Paul is calling us to do, and that is the way that we get through these days. We keep pulling in the faith, with faith, knowing that God is ever with us, that things eternal will never pass away. Things temporal pass through our very hands while we're holding them. And we keep on keeping on, and we keep the faith. And now glory to God, whose power working through us can do infinitely more than we can ask or imagine. Glory to him from generation to generation in the church and in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.